Hi there, and welcome back to Think Aloud with Dr. G. This is a space where we can think aloud together about learning, life, education, special education, language, and communication. I'm glad you're here. In our first episode, I mentioned that I have the privilege of learning with future teachers. Most recently, I taught a four-week online course with future elementary teachers, music teachers, agriculture teachers, middle school teachers, and some current teachers who are taking courses to continue their education. Our content was about exceptional learners, so my job was to share information with these general education and specialized teachers as far as specialized content about special education, about the laws that are around special education, the theories about learning, research, policy, using evidence-based practices, good procedures, social interventions, academic interventions, all while addressing the fact that students with disabilities have the right to access general education curriculum. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Because it is. And our focus really was on the general education teacher's role and responsibilities for teaching all of their diverse learners. This was a big challenge to cover in four weeks online during the summer. And I have to say these future teachers and current teachers brought their best. They did an amazing job covering the content, connecting to the content. And as I reflected on their learning from the summer, I really saw five big themes that I wanted to think aloud about and process with you. And maybe that might kind of help generate some thinking or some questioning in your own world about the learning that teachers do in order to be really well prepared to teach all of our students in all of our classrooms. So the first thing that really came up was this anchoring thought. Um, And one of our students really highlighted it in one of her reflections. The, The best way to learn something or teach something is to make it mean something. And there's a lot of great information out there about how we make meaning and how we connect information and how we learn new things. Um, I shared with my students some resources, some journal articles, some TED Talks. I recommended a book for them called Make It Stick, and I will share that in the show notes with you as well. But it really is true. We learn and teach most effectively when we connect things meaningfully. So I want to kind of talk through the five big meaning connections that my students made this summer. The first one, for those of you who are in the education field and in special education specifically, this will not be a surprise to you, but a lot of my students had to unlearn this concept of learning styles. For those of you who aren't familiar, learning styles was this idea created that um, we each have one best way to learn. So people will talk about being a visual learner or an auditory learner or a kinesthetic learner saying, I really only learn that way. What research shows is that is not true. We have 40 years worth of research that shows while you may have a preference, you may prefer certain types of learning situations, you actually don't have any measurable significant differences in your ability to learn based on that. What we really need to pay attention to is what is 
it we're trying to learn. What is our outcome? What is our instructional objective? And there's a great TED talk that talks about this. Um, for example, if I were trying to teach you what birds look like, like to be able to identify a bird by looking at it, the best way to teach you that is to show you different birds, right? So that's a visual expectation. That's a visual objective. So it would make sense that I would include at least some visual representation in the learning and instructional process. So we really broke down some barriers because these students unfortunately grew up in a time where their teachers kind of succumbed to this idea of learning styles. And so they took these online assessments or paper-based assessments and they were told, oh, you're a visual learner. And then the student believed, I need to do everything visually. I can't listen to a lecture and learn which is pretty detrimental to their experiences because some of the information we have requires you to hear and experience it. So this idea of learning styles and debunking this idea of learning styles was a foundational piece of what my students learned this summer. And we recognized that we really need to pay attention to using multimodality instructional techniques. So if I am teaching you about songbirds, I'm going to show you songbirds. We're going to talk about songbirds. We're going to listen to their calls and we're going to hear those things. We might want to experience going outside and looking for birds. Like there's lots of ways to connect that back. And the core of that has to do with making meaning. So I thought it was pretty great that they debunked this idea of learning styles and recognized the value instead of multimodal and differentiated instruction. All right, so the second big theme that came up this summer was the idea of person-first language. For many of my students, they had never heard of this term, and so it may be unfamiliar to you as well. Um, if you think about the history of special education in the United States. The first law about special education having to be provided within the schools was passed in 1975. So it's only about 45, 46 years in our culture that this has been a requirement. And so before that, we might have treated groups of people with disabilities differently. They might have been ostracized or othered. And so a lot of times um, they might have been labeled. So it was very common, say, 40 years ago to talk about the disabled child or the wheelchair child. And so recognizing that the disability is not the only singular defining component of a person or a characteristic of a person. So it's really important to kind of recognize that our language has power and the words we use have power. And so this idea of person-first language is simply that, to recognize the person first. So rather than saying a wheelchair user, you might say um, a person who uses a wheelchair. Or rather than saying the disabled child, you might say a child with a physical impairment or a child with a learning disability. And so some of the things that my students commented with this is they were recognized that um, language is really powerful. And so thinking about how you phrase things in conversation and recognizing the person first could really make sure to highlight ability rather than disability. 
So that was pretty powerful that the students were recognizing their own language and their own understanding of the world and how that is so crucial and their role as a general education teacher and how crucial that is to the success of students with disabilities. So I thought that was pretty great. So number two was person first language. The third thing that our amazing future teachers really took away from our four-week class this summer was the idea of how general educators will teach students with special education service needs. There is this kind of quick to categorize and lump students into, oh, those are SPED kids, I won't have them in my class. But what we know from the data and the research and what is best practice for our students is that we want to recognize this idea of least restrictive environment, which is in the special education law. Like it's a requirement that we have to provide educational instruction to the student in the least restrictive environment possible for them to make their educational gains, but also spending time with their non-disabled peers. We recognize the value of this kind of diverse experience and people being in the same space to the extent possible. That's a pretty powerful part of that statement as well. And so one of our teachers just recognized the fact that truly every teacher is what we would consider a special education teacher in the sense that every teacher is going to have students in their classes who have different types of needs. They're going to have students who are eligible for special education services. Most of our kids who receive special education services spend the majority of their day in a general education setting. They are our students. They are in all of our classes. And so our students who are training to become middle school teachers and music teachers and agriculture education teachers really recognized that these students are our students. And that was a really powerful takeaway for them. The other piece of that kind of went along with, as the teacher then, I need to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do to support the learning for my students. So they recognize the importance of differentiation, of offering variety and experiences, of encouraging engagement and interaction. They recognize the importance of using evidence-based practices in their teaching so that they were making their instruction differentiated in a way we know works pretty powerful stuff, right? I'm so proud of our future teachers and I'm so excited about what we have. Like These are the students who are going to become the teachers for the next generation and they are here for their kids. They are here to learn. They are here to make the world a better place and they are truly inspiring. If you get a chance to spend time with future teachers, you'll see that. It is wonderful. So the fourth thing that they came away with ties with this, and that's the idea of evidence-based practices. Again, for those of you who aren't as familiar, evidence-based practices really are things we know, instructional strategies, instructional techniques that we know work, that have been researched, that have an evidence base behind them, hence the name evidence-based practices. And so we spent quite a little bit of our time talking about what those are, how to find them, and why it's important to use them well. And one of our students really honed in on this idea about using evidence-based practices with fidelity. Now, 
That sounds like a teacher word, but it really means do the practice the way the practice was supposed to be done. And what we find is that if you use the practice with fidelity, you're much more likely to have success in supporting your students' learning. Unfortunately, what we find is some teachers might use a practice only partially or not use it with fidelity, and so their results are going to be inconsistent. They're not going to see that same level of quality instruction and quality student learning outcome. So I love that these students, these future teachers, really took that home, that they want to make sure that as teachers, they understand the practices and they're using them the way they're supposed to be used. Pretty powerful stuff, right? And that leads into the fifth thing that they really took away, which is this idea of universal design for learning. It is a framework to consider how to build in differentiation into your lessons and into your instructional plan. Universal design for learning is um, a a framework that you can find at cast.org, and I'll put all of the links in the references in in the show notes for you. But universal design for learning really is this idea that we build our instructional plan intentionally to make sure that we are meeting the needs of our most intense learners. So if we can remove barriers and increase access from the planning stages, it's going to be so much better for all of our students. For example, if you have a student who has a physical limitation and uses a wheelchair, you want to set your classroom environment, your physical classroom environment up so that that student can navigate it. So that's going to mean wider aisles, more space for things to be accessible. If they are in the wheelchair all day, they're not going to be able to reach up to tall shelves. So you might think about moving materials down for where they're easier access. And if you're making things easier access, that's going to support not only the kiddo in the wheelchair, but other students who maybe have some fine motor issues. You're going to have things clear and labeled and easy to reach, which is going to support all of the students in your classroom. And that's just one example. But these students really understood that they can, as the teacher, think intentionally about how to support all of the kids, depending on their strengths and their struggles, and really develop their lessons, their physical environment, their classroom engagement strategies, their classroom management strategies in a way that supports all of their students. It's a really powerful thing that they took away from this class, and I love that they did. I love that they're recognizing that general education is not one size fits all. And it never has been. But now our future teachers of all content areas and all grade levels are thinking about how do I apply universal design for learning? How do I recognize the individualized education plan for my students with special education services that I can implement things in my classroom that are going to support all of my students? One student commented with the UDL guidelines, there are so many solutions to universally any issue you might face in the classroom. There's such power in having that knowledge and using high quality evidence-based practices to benefit all of their students. It was a pretty powerful summer and I am so excited to think about these students going out and becoming teachers in the next couple of years. And again, 
The final thought that they anchor this to is the best way to learn and teach something is to make it mean something. So each one of these students took the information from our class, connected it to their own teaching, their own experiences as students and their own experiences as teachers, and are going forward to develop educational plans for their students that are inclusive, that are differentiated, that are designed to minimize barriers and maximize access to the content. How powerful is that? So I love this idea of connecting across all of education and the power we have to share high quality evidence-based practices with each other so that we can debunk myths like learning styles and we can increase the use of high quality practices like evidence-based practices and universal design for learning. So just as a quick recap, the five big things that the students came away from this four-week summer class with, learning styles are not real, and they actually can cause some damage if you adhere to this idea of, oh, I'm just a visual learner or I'm just an auditory learner. That's so limiting for the student and for the teacher. Number two, they learned about person-first language and recognizing the value of the person rather than just using language carelessly that might label or other someone. So really recognizing the power of our language. The third thing they recognize is that general education teachers will teach students with special education services. They are the front line. They are those teachers who are going to see these students most and have the greatest impact on all of our students. With that said, they recognized, number four, they need to use evidence-based practices. They need to use teaching strategies and instructional planning strategies that we know work so that they can maximize their efficiency and effectiveness for all of their students. I'm just so excited about these students. They are going to be amazing teachers. And number five, they recognize the importance of building up all of our students. They're going to have kiddos with IEPs in their classrooms. They're going to have kiddos with different kinds of needs in their classrooms. And they recognize the need for differentiation. And we specifically talked about universal design for learning or UDL as a framework to build your instructional plan from the beginning, very systematically and very intentionally to reduce barriers and increase access. I don't know if you're as excited as I am about the future of education, but these students who are going to be our teachers in just another year or two are ready to impact their students positively, to use science and evidence to support their teaching, and to meet their students where they are and help them grow the best that they know how. Again, our teachers are ready to learn and teach things and mean, make it mean something and connect what they're learning every day and what they're experiencing every day into becoming better future teachers. That's some pretty amazing stuff. And I am excited for what the fall semester is going to bring. And I'm anxious to hear your success stories. So if you have a chance and you want to drop a comment, please do. Let me know some of the great things that your future teachers are doing. Or if you are a teacher, what are some things that you're doing in your classroom to prepare for the fall, to get ready to meet the needs of our next generation? 
because it is so powerful, the work that we can do together. So that's what I'm thinking about this week. I'm thinking aloud about all of the great things that our teachers are doing and all of the things that we're doing at every level of of education to get ready for the fall semester. We're ready to make a positive difference and our students deserve it. So thank you for spending some time with me thinking aloud about quality learning and continuing our education. So as I've said, I love being able to think about and talk about learning and life, education, special education, language, and communication, and our future teachers are here for it, and they are ready to support their students. Thanks for spending this time with me, and I look forward to thinking aloud with you again soon. Stay curious.